Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Michael, and today we are going to take a break from our series entitled I Am, as it is Mother's Day, and we want to turn to really what I would consider a curious book to find guidance and direction here on Mother's Day. It contains words from a father to a son. The father in this storyline is no ordinary dad. He's King Solomon of Israel. He's the wisest man, the scripture says, to have ever lived. And Solomon's desire, the greatest desire of his heart, was to instill that very wisdom of God in the life of his sons. He leaves in this book of Proverbs no topic untouched, to be sure. The wisdom he offers in these 31 pages, it's practical, it's intellectual, it's moral in its content. It's for those who are young and for those who are simple-minded. It is for those who are experienced and those who have evidenced even strong wisdom in their lives. Though this is from a father to a son, the writer of Hebrews tells us of Proverbs that it is for all who believe in Christ. So there's a word for each of us this morning. I've selected Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 through 9 this morning, because I think there's a vivid reminder that Solomon provides for every one of us in this room this morning. He's going to speak of God as our wisdom. He's going to encourage us to listen to the instruction of our Father. He will charge us not to forsake our mother's teaching, because as he says, These teachings, these instructions are a crown of grace upon our head and a necklace of honor around our necks. My intention is much like Solomon's this morning. It's to charge us in the same way that we would be a people who would not forsake. We would not forget and abandon our mom's teaching. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 through 9 this morning. You can also turn there in your pew Bible. And you will find Proverbs there about the middle of the book. As well, the words will be on the screen behind me. If you found that passage this morning, Proverbs chapter 1, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We do that here at First Southern as a way of acknowledging, hear me, God is King, and His Word has absolute and total authority in our lives. So let us hear what King Solomon had to say to his sons. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we... Pause in this moment as we open your word to thank you, first of all, for giving it to us. Thank you for inspiring Solomon to write these words. Father, thank you for the preservation of the word that we today might have it. Some 3,000 years later, Father, we are thankful for that. Would your spirit today please teach us what you would have us to know? Father, turn our hearts more affectionately toward you. And Father, may we find encouragement indeed to pursue you in a path of life and wisdom this day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Solomon, more than any other human, understood that God is not only the source of wisdom, 
but he is wisdom. When he had the opportunity to ask, you know the story in 2 Chronicles and 1 Kings, he had the opportunity to ask God for anything. God comes to him in a dream. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7, In that night God appeared to Solomon and said, Ask what I shall give to you. In other words, he said, Solomon, you are now king. What would you have me do for you? Solomon couldn't think about that. Think about if the God of the universe, your creator, said, What? What can I give you? Anything. What would you want? Solomon, listen to what he asks for in verse 10. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? God, I need wisdom and knowledge for you because you have entrusted me to be the shepherd, the leader, the king of Israel. And a task is too big. Give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. His request in that moment was not wasted. The scripture makes clear that his wisdom became known around the entire world. Kings and queens would travel to sit in his court and to hear from him. When he purposes to instill this same wisdom in his sons, he begins in the very first part of verse 7 of Proverbs 1 with an incredible statement. Hear it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In short, he says to have such wisdom requires a particular foundation. No other foundation, Solomon says, no other foundation will work. He tells his boys that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of gaining this knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. On the surface, we would understand this to mean that the disposition of fearing the Lord is the starting place for acquiring such knowledge. But actually, the word beginning means the main thing. It means the greatest, the greatest importance. So, he says, if you want to walk in the better way, better way of life, my sons, then you must make the fear of the Lord of greatest importance in your life. That's how he starts out these 31 pages of conversation. Now, boys, listen. <laughs> if you want to live the better life, if you want to experience God's blessings, if you want to enjoy all that is good... It starts by making the fear of the Lord the greatest importance in your life. So then we ask ourselves the question, right? What does it mean that the fear of the Lord, what is Solomon trying to communicate when he says that? The answer to that question is vitally important. Many of you read the Proverbs every day. You start on the first of the month, the second, the third, and you read a chapter. You're pouring into your life, and so you have already learned this likely, that the key to understanding all of Proverbs really is... What is the fear of the Lord? Solomon expects his sons to do two things in response to hearing that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. First, he expects them, and and this is what God would expect of us. So you might want to remind yourself of them this week. He He expects them to believe God's promises and love God. Pretty simple, right? Believe God's promises and love God as a result of that. 
He also expects them to believe God's threats. God's plumb line. God says, listen, you walk this way and good comes. You walk this way and ill comes. So he expects them to believe God's promises and love God. And he expects them to believe God's threats in the Scripture and fear God. Most of us don't like to talk about fearing God. We want to flip over and say that fearing God means only standing in awe, as we sang this morning, or reverencing God. It certainly encapsulates that, but there's a real portion. The good thing is we live on the side of the cross. We live in grace if we know Christ, and there is no fear for those. There is no condemnation for us in Christ. But there is the reality that our God is a just God. There's the reality that our God hates sin. And our God will indeed mete out discipline even for his own children who continue in that pathway. So when we say the fear of the Lord, here's what I think we're talking about. As believers, we mean our response to the nature and character of God and his revelation of himself. We mean that out of faith we believe his promises and love him while also believing his threats and fearing him. Wrapped up in this phrase, the fear of the Lord is both the content, don't miss that, the content of God's revelation of himself and our emotional response of fear, of love, of trust. That's all contained when Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's a content an amount of knowledge, God's revelation of self in our emotional response of fear, love, and trust. I think one writer aids our understanding when he points towards C.S. Lewis, the line, the witch, and the wardrobe. Many of you know this as the fictitious story, at least in part, of Narnia. Narnia is used by C.S. Lewis to describe the biblical narrative and the unfolding of salvation in the gospel, etc., The children arrive in Narnia and their guide, the beaver, begins to orient them to the land. And he begins to tell them of the primary character, Aslan, the great lion, who we know is the portrayal of God himself in the storyline. The children ask a good and right question. Do you know what it is? They ask this, is he dangerous? And beaver says, oh yes! but he's good. Oh yes, but he's indeed good. So Solomon wants his sons to understand that God is powerful and God is wrathful. God sets an incredible standard and expectation. But he's also a God who is just, merciful, kind, loving, generous, and gracious. Verse 7, Solomon sets up what becomes the consistent contrast In the whole of Proverbs, there's the way of the wise and there's the way of the fool. He's pressing into his sons, really all the sons of Israel. This is wisdom literature show. It's really written for the entire covenant nation. He's pressing in. Choose the right path. Throughout the entire 31 chapters... He speaks of a path that leads to what is good and one that looks to lead, that that leads to what looks to be good. 
One path leads to life. One path leads to death. One path leads to wisdom. And one path leads to folly. Solomon represents these pathways with with two competing voices. You might call them Lady Wisdom and Madam Folly. Lady Wisdom speaks, as we see in our passage this morning, through mom and dad in the home. Lady Wisdom speaks in the gates of the city to the gullible, to the ones who have yet made a decision to walk a wise path. And she's calling them in her direction. Madam Folly, on the other hand, speaks through wicked men offering fast money and the adulterer offering casual sex. Solomon is telling us that the road makes a fork, church, and we must choose which road we are going to take. Either we will follow the path of wisdom or we're going to follow the path of folly. There is no third way. There's no median. He tells us in verse 7 that those who choose the fool's path, listen to what it says, despise wisdom. That is, they regard worthless and vile God's revelation of Himself. The fool says that there is no God. Yet Paul has made clear in Romans 1 that even very creation itself has declared and made known that there is a God. The psalmist tells us that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Yet the fool despises wisdom. The fool indeed sees and regards God's revelation of himself as worthless and vile. We know men and women like that, don't we? And listen, their contempt, their contempt of their Creator, I promise you, it's rooted in their own pride. Their sense that I don't need anyone else. And it will always, it will always lead to destruction and for them eternal death and damnation. Solomon knew, don't miss this, Solomon knew that the battle for the righteousness of Israel was truly a battle for the souls of sons and daughters. Let that sink in for a minute. King Solomon understood that the battle for the righteousness of Israel as a whole, of which he was responsible before the Lord, He knew that at the core of it, it was a battle for the souls of sons and daughters in the local home. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he looks at the dads. We'll talk about this on Father's Day. We're going to return to this exact passage on Father's Day and see what Solomon taught as a father to his sons throughout the book of Proverbs. But in Deuteronomy 6, Moses has the people gathered and He says to the Father specifically, you, you are to teach your children the laws and the statutes. As you rise up, as you go to bed, you are to teach them and make them known and to display them. King Solomon knew. He knew that the turn of the nation had everything to do with what took place in the local home. So we too, as moms and dads, are acutely aware of the same truth in our own generation. The way of our nation 
has everything to do with the way of our home. Solomon makes clear in Proverbs 29 verse 18 that when people do not have a prophetic vision of God, they will cast off all restraints. What does that mean? It means they'll do what they want to do. There'll be no boundary marker. Whatever feels good is right. Knowing this, he says to his own children, persevere. Persevere on the road to life. Persevere on the road to goodness. Persevere on the road to wisdom. My sons, my daughters, please, I beg of you, do not be distracted by Madam Folly. Very likely this morning, many of us sit here in right relationship with God in right relationship with others and society at large because we had fathers who instructed us and corrected us. We had mothers who taught us. Oh, listen. And teenagers, listen to me. (laughs) Soon to be teenagers, listen to me. Parents are not unwise. They, They know what peer pressure means. Peer pressure can be good, right? It can also be negative. They, they knew well that our peers would do everything in their strength to draw us away from the good and right and wise pathway. That's why our parents, when we were kids, that's why they rehearsed right and wrong, calling us to what is good, right, and beautiful in life. They did all they could to instill in us a prophetic vision of God. They knew the importance that we be set on the path of wisdom, reflected by our belief in God's promises and threats, as well as our love for God and our fear of God. Hear me, mom and dad. Part of parental responsibility is shaping the identity of our children, pressing in a particular way of viewing the world from God's perspective. I think that's exactly why in verse 8, Solomon writes this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. That is, listen to your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. Solomon tells his sons to listen to his father's instruction. Hear them, listen to them. He means more than just open your ears and and process words. This word here literally means it's the idea of listening with a sense of obedience. Any amens from mom and dad? Right? It's, It's one thing for our kids to hear our voices. It's another thing for them to listen and to obey. And so that's really what Solomon is saying. Sons, I don't want you just to process my words. I want you to listen with a sense of intentment that you are committed to walking the pathway. When I draw a boundary for you, I expect that you will stay inside of that boundary. When I draw a dotted line, I expect that you're going to walk that because, listen, I'm older than you are. I'm wiser than you are. If you want to add the whole, I brought you into the world and I can take you out, feel free, right? We, we want our kids desperately to listen. 
and to follow through. Why? <laughs> Probably because we didn't, right? And we stepped in some potholes and we may have found ourselves in the ditch a few times of life. But this morning I want you to notice that Solomon tells his sons particularly not to forsake, not to abandon, not to leave unattended his mother's teaching. This word for teaching, I think, is interesting in verse 8. The word is Torah. You know what that means. It speaks of, when we talk of the Torah, when the Jew speaks of the Torah, it's the first five books of the Bible. So certainly, at least minimally, Solomon perhaps is speaking of the first five books of the Bible, but I think it's, it's more than that. Mothers are to teach their children to fear the Lord. They are to shape their sons and daughters' worldview. They are in essence to... We don't use this word in Baptist life very often, though we do in Baptist history. It's a good word. We are to... Moms are to catechize their children. That means they are to teach them the word... They're to help their children hide those words in their heart. They're to help their children recite those words. And, eventually, understand the deep meaning of those words. Listen, church, we we must be moms and dads in our homes who believe that it is our primary responsibility to be the discipler of our kids. All the churches to come along, a Christian mom or dad, certainly... And champion and equip mom and dad. But at the end of the day, mom and dad, grandparents, you, you, me, we are responsible before the Lord for the shaping and teaching and adorning our children with Christ and His Word. Moms, moms, hear me. What a beautiful opportunity you have. And many of you have seized already in your life to adorn your children with God's wisdom. To adorn your children with the gospel of Christ. To adorn your children with Christ Himself. Think about what all moms and dads teach their children. I'm going to give you five seconds to just ponder that. What do moms and dads teach their children? You got a list? Almost everything. Beyond natural reflexes such as breathing and sucking and protecting oneself from a fall, pretty much nearly everything else is learned. My mom taught me to use a fork and a spoon. She taught me to stand, to walk, to talk, to use the bathroom, (laughs) to dress myself, to read and write, to ride a bike, to add two plus two. She taught me to use good southern manners, to say yes ma'am and no ma'am and yes sir and no sir. She taught me to keep my elbows off the dinner table. She taught me to pull out a lady's chair. She told me and taught me how to open the door for one. She taught me to clean house. She taught me to cook. She taught me to do laundry. She taught me always to do my best in everything. She taught me to be kind and loving toward others. 
as well as forgiving. She taught me to drive a car. Manual transmission, no less. I told Ginger last night, we were watching TV, and there was, a, I believe it was a Ford commercial. You probably have seen it. Where the, the kid is backing out, the new driver is backing out, and, and uh, doesn't see the car coming, and the car itself stops, right? Oh, I wish I'd had one of those. If, you're, if, you're, if your teenager is about to turn 15, 16 years old, I know it's expensive. Go buy you one, I think. It may save you some grief. She taught me to pursue my dreams. As I got older, she gave me a lot of late night advice. And she listened a whole lot. She demonstrated that conversation with me was more important than whatever task was at hand. More than any of these, she pointed me to God, my Savior. She displayed for me the love of Christ that I would have an earthly model. She encouraged me in my study of God's Word. Listen, church, I know it's Mother's Day, and I know you'd love to stand here and speak of your mother. My mom is my hero. She's my hero. Some of you know my story, some don't. My mom and dad both love me deeply, and I'm grateful for that. They're both involved in my life, and I'm grateful for that. My parents divorced when I was young. So my mom raised five kids, really, as a single mom. She sacrificed. She rose early every morning at 5 a.m., getting herself ready for work. She cooked us breakfast. She laid out our lunch money on the stairs in neat little stacks. That's when lunch cost less than a dollar and you could use coins. I guess that's when you used to use coins for lunch at school. And there'd be five little stacks there. Somehow, as a four or five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old boy, I knew it took a lot for those five stacks of coins to appear on those stairs every morning. She made sure that we all got off to school with everything, somehow, and then she headed off to work. She returned home after nine hours at the office. She cooked dinner. She did laundry. She supervised homework. She attended sporting events. She restored order to our home. And then she laid her head down on a pillow on the sofa in the living room. Because we lived in a two-bedroom apartment along with my grandmother. Listen to me, Mom. Listen to me, Moms. You often wonder, is anything, is anything getting through to our children? I want you to hear me say this this morning as a 47-year-old man. Yes. Yes, Moms. It's getting through. My mom's words were valuable, but her actions taught me much. Her words and her deeds, they shaped my view of the world and my understanding of God, and yours are doing the same if you, as mom, are walking a path of righteousness. If you are walking the path of life, if you are walking the path of wisdom. Paul highlights Timothy's mother and grandmother in the New Testament. 
Timothy is his son in the faith. Timothy is his co-laborer in Christ. And he says, Timothy, your mother and your grandmother, they poured into you. They taught you the sacred writings that led you to understand Christ as Savior. Solomon is reminding his sons not to abandon, not to leave unattended their mother's teachings ever. I love how in verse 8 that Solomon celebrates both the roles of the mother and the father and the role of teaching in the home. You say, big deal. I say, big deal. Nowhere else do we find in ancient literature, ancient Near East literature, in which this is being written. We don't find anywhere that moms are raised up to this level. Nowhere do we find them as valued as we do in God's holy word. And so it is a big deal that Solomon says to his sons, listen to my instructions Heed my corrections and do not forsake. Do not abandon your mom's teaching. Oh, think of Solomon. Think of his mom Bathsheba. You know the story. There's ugly beginnings to be sure. But Solomon, he loves his mom. He respects her. He sought to honor his mother. Listen to the scene from 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak on Adonijah's behalf. The king rose from his throne to meet her. And he bowed down before her. And when he sat down on his throne again, the king ordered that a throne be brought for his mother, and she sat at his right hand. The wisest, most powerful man got up, greeted his mother, went across the room, and bowed down, and invited her to come and sit on her own throne next to him. Listen to me, children, both adult and young. I don't know what it means in your family context to honor your mom. But I'm thinking if the king of Israel, the wisest man who has ever lived, got up, walked across the room, greeted mom, bowed down on his face before her, to demonstrate respect and honor. Surely, even in a difficult family situation, perhaps, I I know things are complicated, but the principle is present. Let us be a people who honor and obey and respect our parents. Quickly, back to verse 8. Solomon knew that teenagers, that's who he's writing to, his teenage boys, he knows that they're very tempted to rebel in two ways. Oh, and teenage girls, you're not off the hook, right? He knows that they're likely and tempted to rebel in two ways. Inside the home, they're likely to resist correction and instruction. And outside the home, away from parental oversight, they're likely to abandon the teaching which they have received from their parents. 
So Solomon knew his son's difficulty of resisting Madam Folly when he was outside of his home. So he stresses the need to listen with a sense of obedience, holding fast to God's word always. He's very directive in verse 8. He gives these two clear admonitions to his sons. He follows that, though, in verse 9 with what I call motivation. He says, listen, boys, this, this is why you need to listen. This is why you need to not abandon or forsake your mom's teaching. And he, he gives us, in verse 9, a promise of reward. Now, here's the good part. For those of us who are a little bit older in the room, we've journeyed farther enough down that road that path of wisdom to know that Solomon is absolutely right in the promise of verse 9. Listen to what he says. Speaking of the Father's instruction and the Mother's teaching, he makes a promise of reward. He says, for they, verse 9, for they are the, the teaching of the parents. They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The New Living Translation says it this way. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. That's how Solomon views the teaching of parents toward the children. Listen, for children who persevere in the path of their parents' teaching, they will be rewarded with life. They'll be rewarded with goodness. They'll be rewarded with wisdom. They will experience bounty and blessings in their lives. The crown or the wreath represents victory and prestige. We think of the heroine or the hero. We think of the victor in the games. The necklace represents protection and guidance. And even in the Egyptian cultic language and literature in which Solomon would have been aware it points even to eternal life. There are those who would wear a pendant around their neck once as they're buried. And that pendant was of a, an Egyptian goddess. I'm not talking about the Jews. I'm talking about the Egyptians. And that Egyptian goddess was in essence the goddess of wisdom. Truth and order to be exact, but wisdom. And they sensed that that necklace would aid them and move them toward eternal life. <laughs> How much more? <laughs> How much more is God's teaching and revelation of Himself? A crown of grace and a necklace of honor that leads us to eternal life. Amen? Moms, that's what you do. That's what you do. That's what you've done for us in this room. Whether you are young or old, it's good. It's good for us to hold fast to the right teachings of our mom and our dads. They are a crown of grace and a necklace of honor around our necks. Many of you see me wear this ring. You might not have ever taken a close-up look at it. It's a ring that I was given now some 12 and a half years ago when I graduated from seminary. My mom bought it for me. I wear it nearly every day. It's my symbol of grace. 
I constantly look at it or touch it, and I'm reminded of God's favor and kindness. Through her teaching in my life, her shaping and telling me to pursue my dreams, telling me to be diligent and not give up, to walk the path that the Lord had laid before me, even though it wasn't going to be an easy task. So every morning I get up, I put it on. And it's my symbol of grace. It's the closest thing I've got in physical form to a crown of grace and a necklace of honor. And it reminds me of God's kindness and favor. Moms, that's what you do in the lives of your sons and daughters. On Mother's Day, may we be a people who do not forsake our mother's teaching and our mother's modeling. I walk in this room on Sunday mornings and there are a few older men who wear coat and tie every Sunday. I love it. I don't always do it, but I love it. One of them told me nearly a year ago, as I said to him, you really don't have to wear a coat and tie to church. You know that, right? You know what he told me? It's what my mama taught me to do. So every day I put on a coat and tie to come to church, I'm honoring my mom and her wishes. When I walk in this room, that's what I see in the coat and tie by that individual. I'm reminded as a 47-year-old man, it's good for me to honor my mom's teaching and never let go. On Mother's Day, may we be a people who rise up and bless our mothers. That's what the writer of Proverbs 31 verse 28 says, that our children will rise up. The mother's child will rise up and bless her. Well, in closing, let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you remembering your mother's teaching? Whether you're 10 or 90, are you today walking in a path of righteousness for our Lord's sake? Are you on the road of wisdom? Or right now, somehow, is Madam Folly calling you away? Oh, listen, brother, sister, if you are being pulled away, I want to encourage you to step back in. Listen to your father's instructions and correction and hold fast to your mom's teaching. It's a path to delight and joy and blessing. The other road, destruction. I want to challenge you to do something this week. I want to challenge you to take the time to write down everything that your mom taught you. Just take the time. I shared with you just a partial list this morning. As I was writing that list, let me be transparent for a moment. (laughs) As I was writing that list out, I found myself unable to finish writing because I began to sob. For those of you who know me well, you know I'm not a highly emotional individual. But it was washed over me, her demonstration of love, demonstrated through sacrifice, And her modeling 
of faithful parenthood that brought me to tears in that writing. For many in this room, your mom is gone to be with the Lord, I hope, but is no longer here on earth. You would wish to say these things to her. And for those of you who still have the privilege and the relationship, oh, would you just make sure you communicate what all she has taught you? Moms, as Scott said, you have one of the hardest tasks in the world. But what, what a joy. Even if it wasn't good for you growing up, it can be good for you and your child. Shape, shape your children, for they will shape your grandchildren. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and kindness. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for the crown of salvation and the necklace of honor that you have bestowed on us in Christ. We recognize that every good gift that we have, including our breath and life, come from you. Father, we pause this morning to thank you for our mothers. And Father, we want to be a people who remember their teachings well and live them well and model them well for our own children and grandchildren. Would you be so kind to help us do that well? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.